It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am really looking forward to talking to my guest today. Joining me on the show is Ryan Stuman, the hardcore closer. He's a best-selling author of a book of the same name, as well as a couple other books. He's a speaker, consultant, entrepreneur, podcaster, video maker. Ryan, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Andy. I'm excited to be here and, uh, and you know, get to know each other and, and talk a little bit today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, I usually ask people to tell me you know, how they got their start in sales. And, you know, it's, it's oftentimes not a very direct route. You know, it's like, no, very few people say, well, I graduated college and you know, went right into sales. But um, yours was a little bit of a more indirect route than, than most. Uh, yeah, you had a lot of, a lot of challenges you know, that you've dealt with uh, getting to this point. So maybe tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today and sort of some of the things you had to, to go through. Well, I've been through hell and back. You know, I'm sure there's people on the planet that have been through worse stuff than I have. There's uh, always somebody worse off than you, but I've been through a lot. But I've, I've always been in sales. Like I, I remember I was like eight years old. And working at a car wash, I had, you know, been labeled with the typical ADD or whatever the, they call it these days. And, and and my parents didn't like me hanging around in the neighborhood that we lived in because I was always raising a ruckus with the other neighborhood kids that were a little bit older than me and stuff. And so they took me to work. And my, my stepfather, he worked for this car wash organization. And they would take me there and make me wash cars. Well, I noticed the person that sold car washes didn't have to vacuum or wash cars like the, you know, the, the greeter fellow or whatever you mm-hmm. call it. And so I knew that that was the moment that I knew sales was for me. <laughs> like, so look, I can just use my mouth and not have to actually use my hands and, and all this like sweating and everything else that it comes involved with, uh, uh, being a manual labor, right? I knew that I wanted to be a salesperson as opposed to a manual labor, but it, it, it didn't, it dawned on me at that point uh, but little did I know that, you know, it would be something that lasted me my whole entire lifetime and, and got me here. And at this point in my life, I've, I've sold a lot of stuff, you know, I've sold, uh, uh, I've sold mortgages, I've sold real estate, I've sold car washes, I've sold drugs, I've sold, uh, sales training to people that have sold drugs. Like I've done all sorts <laughs> of stuff at this point. So, so well, let's, talk, uh, let's talk about that last one. So yeah, you, you're pretty open about the fact you've, you've had addiction issues. You ended up in prison. But So you're saying you gave sales training to people that were selling drugs? <laughs> yeah, actually, actually <laughs> that's, one that's of the... That's the first I have to admit. I haven't heard that one. Well, a, uh, a, a few years back when the green rush was in full effect, and I'd say that it kind of slowed down for a little while uh, now, but, you know, marijuana in places like, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Oregon and Washington and Colorado... And so I started training a lot of the dispensary people on how to upsell people when they come in, you know, just like McDonald's, like, Hey man, you can grab two extra joints for five bucks. If you don't ask them, they're not going to spend the extra five bucks. But if you ask them nine times out of 10, people will just drop the extra five, especially in like a dispensary where they're probably a little stoned anyway, to begin with, <laughs> not in the best decision making spot possible. That's why I take advantage of it. Right. We're a for profit. Uh, they were for profit organizations. So uh, but yeah, I, technically, I have sold sales training to people who sell drugs. So upsell the THC gummies. 
That's it. That's right. It's like, man, you look really, listen, dude, you're going to be really hungry after this. We're not going to lose your highs. Just take some chocolate chip cookies, man. You're going to love them. So, I mean, you've had to confront being homeless at some point, just addiction issues, prison, uh, divorce. I mean, one of those is, is hard enough for most people to get through. What, what kept you going? So what, what was the image that, that you held in mind that, that gave you the resilience and motivation to, to reach for your goals and end up sort of where you are today? You know, that's an interesting question. Just to give you a quick timeline. So I was a, adopted at age seven. I dropped out of school at age 15, got a GED at 17, overdosed on drugs and uh, basically died at age 19, went to prison at age 20, got out at 21, worked at the car wash again until I was 23. Then one of the customers at the car wash offered me a job. I was still selling car washes. One of the customers at the car wash offered me a job in the mortgage industry and uh, ended up taking her up on the uh, opportunity and ended up becoming one of the top mortgage people in the country uh, year after year and did, did a tremendous amount of mortgage loans, helped a lot of families out. Uh, and then in 2007, uh, got in trouble with the police again. Uh, they thought I was selling drugs because I was making a lot of money from mortgages and I wasn't when they kicked in the door to my house for a warrant, which makes sense, right? Past drug dealer, small town. I get it. They just made a mistake. And instead of owning up to their mistake, they charged me with uh, a weapons charge, fell in possession of firearm. I beat the case and the sons of guns turned me on over to the ATF. And it's kind of like weed in Colorado. You can sell weed in Colorado all you want, but if the DEA kicks your door in, you're screwed, right? Well, it's mm-hmm. the same with guns. Guns and felons in Texas work similar. So they turned me over to the ATF. ATF charged me, ended up going back to prison for another 15 months. I uh, got married before I went in there, ended up getting divorced. Uh, then got out, started all over from scratch, no wife, no family, nothing like that really to rely on and got a job back in the mortgage business, worked there from 2008, 2010. And, uh, they passed a law called the Dodd-Frank act and I lost my mortgage license and I had to start all over again. I'm like the king of starting all over (laughs) and I had to start all over again. And that's, what's led me into this, which is really the longest I've ever done anything for the, the six, almost seven years now that I've been doing sales training and internet marketing. And you asked what my motivation was that kept me going. And I don't know that I really had a motivation, but I have this innate ability to continue to move forward and just shake stuff off. And it's, it's because I'm not really good with emotions. I'm not really good with feelings. If, if you're like, how do you feel today, man? I feel like you need to get out of my face. Why are you asking me these weird questions? Like, that's just, I'm not, I don't deal well with this stuff. I'm kind of a callous person, hence how I got the name Hardcore Closer. And because of that, I've always just been so future focused that I don't have time to deal with the the past or what happened. It's like when I got put sentenced to prison, I didn't think, you know, I I didn't walk through there and just want to play this victim that I was, you know, obviously I was very much taken taken, uh, advantage of and and shouldn't have been there. And if a series of events wouldn't happen, I'd still be in there. And, you know, it was pretty, pretty crazy times. But instead I said, hey, you know what? I got 15 months. I'm going to read every damn book I can get my hands on because I'm going to come out of here and I'm going to be even better. And I'm going to show everybody that doubted me. I want to be an example. And I want to show everybody that doubted me that you can go to prison twice and get your life together. Right. The second time, honestly, wasn't my fault. Had I known that the D, that the ATF had a different set of rules than the state of Texas, I wouldn't have even had that in my house. Right. But so, like, I'm no lawyer. But but anyway, so I didn't have necessarily a motivation. I just the innate ability to just keep moving forward no matter what. So, you know, they say we're all a sum of our experiences. 
so how'd that experience, you know, shape your sales philosophy? So you've well, got this, this, you've got this you know, booming, thriving coaching business that you coach a lot of sales professionals in how to become more effective and efficient in what they do. How that how that experience or let's say shape your the elements of your philosophy? Well, mainly because I'm able to deal with alpha personality types. I'm not over here training rookie salespeople. I'm usually training people that are already making six and sometimes seven figures a year. And, you know, I'm, I'm assisting them in getting to uh, multiply that exponentially depending on how much they want. Right. And so what I've learned is if you're going to deal with alpha personality types, you have to learn how to have an alpha personality type without getting into conflict. And that's a, a very delicate process. And that's really something I learned in prison. You got to learn how to be a tough guy without saying you're too damn tough, but then somebody will beat the shit out of you and prove that you're not, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I, I t- if you look at the crew that I coach and the clients that we have and stuff like that, they're one percenters, man. They're, they're, uh, they're people that aren't just going to take some guy that, you know, goes to church every Sunday and has this perfect life and has only been through one marriage and hadn't had a life altering uh, incident in their life. They're not going to take advice from that guy. They're, they've been looking for someone like me. And so, uh, I also have the ability to connect, connect with, with people who didn't have uh, a connection before, right? Like I said, most sales trainers, they wear a suit and tie and they do the corporate thing. And hey, while there's nothing wrong with that, there's plenty of those people out there. I wanted to come into this industry and be myself, which is something completely different from that stereotype and show the people out here. It's like, hey, you know, no matter if you've been through divorce, no matter if you've been through prison, no matter if you've been homeless, on drugs, adopted, like we can connect. I understand your, your pain. I've been through it. Let me show you how I've continued to push through it. Okay, so the people you work on, <coughs> work with, excuse me, yeah, work on's about right, <laughs> are are already acknowledged successes. So, so what 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 are you working with them on? What are the problems they have? You know, for the top performers that are listening to this podcast, you know, what are, what are the things that they are still areas of improvement that you work with them on to help them go to even the next level? That's that's a good question. You know, uh, obviously that's morphed a lot over the years and, and we're constantly uh, growing and developing. But the main thing that I'm working with people right now is scalability of their business. And so I have a, 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 a good group of people that would be considered a solopreneur or somebody with one employee. And I'm teaching them how to lower their costs. Maybe they're like typical person right now that's working with me is a person that's making quarter million dollars a year. They're using direct mail or some kind of billboard advertising or some kind of old school advertising that costs a significant amount of money. Maybe they're buying leads from uh, an online source like Zillow or, or you know, lower my bills depending on uh, what kind of industry they're in. But they're, they're online advertising and they're trying to lower and reduce those costs while also scaling uh, a team in place to where they can duplicate their efforts. So a lot of the people that I work with, they come to me, they're one or two people and a year later we're done working together. They got five or 10 employees that they've delegated and, and taught their business to and you know their, their business exponentially grown. Uh, it's not so much. I have plenty of sales training uh, material that we sell as like e-learning products and I have a lot of lead generation stuff that we sell as e-learning products too. But the people who come to me and pay the you know, five, 10, $30,000 a year uh, to work with me, those are the people that are already somewhat significantly successful and already have a, uh, a business in place. And what they're trying to do is grow that business uh, without making some of the same mistakes that I have. You know, I've got uh, 12 people that are uh, on retainer working with me on my team. And uh, this month we did, or last month in August, we did $442,000 in sales for the month. And, uh, 
most of my teams actually tech support too. We only have six salespeople. And, and so we're out there pushing it and I've been able to scale that team within the last year and a half. So I'm teaching these guys that are going through the same transition I went through, went from uh, a solopreneur to a person that's actually building an, an actual company because there is a significant difference, you know? So <clears throat> a lot of the people you work with serve, it seems like financial industry, real estate, sort of business to consumer. So do you, is there anybody you work with that's in you know, business to business sales? Yes. Uh, our stuff works for business to business too. You know, one of the first things I know B2B people say is they're like, well, does this work for B2B? Like, yes, it works for B2B. And um, we do. We have people that like uh, I have a guy that sells inspections and he doesn't sell them to homeowners. He sells them to uh, brokerages like Keller Williams or Remax or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he gets accounts with them. So mm-hmm. uh, and, and does very well. It's all a it's all a matter of, of positioning yourself. And really, that's my expertise. Is I can look at your business and say, okay, that's really cool, but if we sell it this way, we'll sell more of it. Got it. So let's let's talk about an article you wrote because again, I sort of prefaced earlier is, is you know I work with a lot of sales and CEOs about you know the basic habits they have, and, and you have an article that you wrote called "If You're Not Losing Sleep Over It, It's Not That Big of a Deal," and I thought it was a really interesting article. And part of it's about developing the habit. You're about overcoming stress, right? How do you how do you make a habit out of how to overcome stress? And you talked a little bit about it in terms of you just you know putting it behind you and becoming effective. So, but that's just one. I mean, what are the other core habits that, in your mind, that you see that characterize great salespeople? You know, uh, great salespeople. You know, the, the the public perception of a great salesperson and the actual and the actuality. Of a great of a great sales person, there are two different things. The the public thinks you need to be like some fast talker, smooth, you know, uh, Ari Gold type of individual, right? While Ari was an effective salesperson on uh, Entourage, the the people that I see that close the most money and do the most damage are the quiet guys, the ones that ask questions and get their prospects to talk in the most. And really, in the modern marketplace that we live in, being able to ask questions that uh, basically solicit from them the answers that you are already looking for, basically fishing questions that get them to go ahead and draw a logical conclusion. The days of, you know, that sounds great, sir, here, take this pen and sign. And, you know, just closing over objections and stuff like that. We live in a time where if people want to check your price, they can do so right there on their phone. We live in a time where people have probably researched your product pretty heavily before they reach out to you. So all those old school push-pull tactics and stuff, they may work, but they're not as effective as letting the prospect draw a logical conclusion uh, to their need. And so uh, one of the the things that you mentioned, I got a little sidetracked there. One of the things you, you mentioned about uh, if you're not losing sleep over, it's not that big of a deal. You know, one thing about that article that it is rubbed off really from prison is there's been plenty of nights that I've been sleepless in there and realize what a big deal it is when you're in prison and, and you find out that, uh, you know, your multiple six figure, uh, savings is going to be gone and you're going to be single and not no longer married and stuff. When you're in there, you realize what stress really is. Like I'm lucky I have my hair and, and I realize what stress really is and what losing sleep over something really feels like. And now out here, if like, you know, I had a contractor steal $32,000 from me, uh, last month uh, on a I'm remodeling my house. It's done now. The dude took the check, freaking hit the bricks. Like you know, never never responded to anything else, man. Never, like it's it's a whole debacle I'm dealing with. But I didn't lose sleep over that. That's a little stressful. Thirty two grand's a lot of money. I don't care who you are. And and it, it was it was stressful, but I definitely didn't lose any sleep over it because I've had that experience 
of, of losing sleep over some real stuff that I couldn't control, right? So it's, as you talk about, you know, lose sleep over things that are really, really important. You have to put that into a context of what really constitutes being really important. Yep. You know, 32 grand in the big scheme of things, perhaps not. But you talk about other sort of core behaviors that, that again, I, I just love this core behavior stuff is, you know, waking up early, exercising, staying hungry, um, belief in a higher calling. I mean, it, those are all important, important aspects. I mean, how do you integrate that into what you do? You know, it, the, the higher calling, it's definitely there. I'm not a religious person. I don't consider myself a Christian or Muslim or Jewish or any of that stuff, right? I'm just Ryan. And, but I, I do believe that we're here and whether some aliens created us as a game for amusement or whether we're here uh, because we have a divine creator, the fact is, is we're here. And I believe that we're all programmed with this. You know, they've discovered that each strand of DNA is different in each person, right? So we all have our own little unique operating system. And I believe the people that find success on this planet, not money, but success on this planet are people who are tapped into that operational, that operating system that was programmed into their DNA. Now, I know I just got weird on you, but just hear me out for a minute. No, go ahead. In, in my life, I always knew that I want, like my family always told me to be a preacher, but I wasn't a fan of preaching because I don't believe in that stuff, right? And I tried it. I've read the Bible in prison, all that. It's just not for me. I don't agree with it from, from my standpoint, right? And it's cool, the people that do. I got even preachers that are in my personal coaching thing. Uh, but, they, but again, it's not something that I practice or belong to. But my family had always said, hey, you need to be a preacher. You have like this, this ability to motivate people and everything else. And then I discovered motivational speakers. And I was like, well, this is cool. This is something that I can do. And I'll never forget, man, in 2005, I finished reading this book called The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like a 1,700-page book, you know, and I was so proud of myself because at the time it was the biggest book I'd ever read. And, and I remember jumping on the coffee table in front of my then wife, the one that left me in prison. Uh, and funny, I saw her the other day for the first time since the day before prison. It's interesting. She happened to be uh, working for one of the places that uh, contracted me. <laughs> okay. And so uh, – but anyway – so I, uh, I remember jumping on the coffee table and, and saying, listen, you know, one day I'm going to do this motivational thing and I'm going to teach people to do something. And listen, one day we're not going to communicate the way that we do now. We're going to be able to communicate through like airwaves and like, and at this time, text message wasn't really a thing, you know? And, and at this time, if you like, there was very few people that text message, it was still mainly email. We, we didn't even have blackberries yet. It was still flip phones. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we're going to be able to communicate through different stuff. I surely had no idea how the internet worked at this time. And now here I am, you know, 12 years later and I'm doing that. I'm following the voice in my head, but I believe in my travel every time I didn't listen to the voice, right? Like, so I didn't become this motivational person. I went back to work as a mortgage broker and then the the universe knew that that wasn't what I was supposed to do. It knows that I'm a hard head. So it rewarded me with prisons. Like, okay, we're going to make you get out of this. Then my old hard headed ass went right back into the mortgage business again. And they passed a law, literally an act of Congress that kept me from doing mortgages again, which finally made me say, maybe I should just listen to this voice and take this route. And I never made as much money in the more, I made a lot of money doing mortgages and, but I never made as much money doing mortgages as we have this year and last year, uh, in, in this program. And I've never been able to serve thousands of people on a regular basis and, and do what we've done. Uh, you know what I mean? Before and, and have the, the, the happiness factor be so high because a lot of people, like I said earlier, you know, they, they, 
the most successful people feel like they have that voice. And I feel like I'm 100% in alignment with the operating system that I have uh, been blessed with. And I feel like I'm 100% in alignment with that voice in the back of my head that's been guiding me what to do all along. And I think that that's why I'm having success. That's why I have a good home life. That's why I have nice things. That's why I have, you know, we were discussing yesterday with my sales team, uh, Andy, we, we've been doing this for six years. We've had thousands of clients and we have zero complaints, zero, not a single one, zero complaints. You can Google my name. And like, so we just got funding from a, uh, a, a big bank that will finance people that want to be in our programs. And they said, normally we don't take these kind of people, but with 320,000 search results of your name, there's no negative data out there anywhere. And that's because we deliver. Right. And you think about like you're an Internet marketer, you know how like hard that is to do, but it's because I'm in alignment with that voice. Right. And so when these people are showing up into my funnel, it's like I know who they are. They've been through some of the pain that I am and I'm able to help them and change their life. And we 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 get excited every time we make a sale because it's not the money, man. But we know somebody's life's about to change. Well, and you bring up a really important point, though, in life in general, but in sales in particular is you, you can't ignore what your gut is telling you. Yeah, you call it the voice. You can't you can't ignore what that is. You know that that intuition, that second sense, whatever it is, that's something you need to pay attention to. I mean, that's gonna that's that's what uh, you know. That's what as you said. Maybe it helps you make the right decisions. Makes you take a risk that you might not other, might not, might not otherwise take. That you know has a big payoff in terms of you look know, what you did. You know, instead of going back to mortgages or whatever you've done before or would have done after mortgages. You know, you started your own thing, and it's it's turned out. And I think so many people ignore that voice, and it's uh, they become sort of satisfied. And you know, you talk about you know they they're not hungry, they're not uncomfortable anymore. They're they're living with you know with comfort instead of living with discomfort or seeking out discomfort. Well, it, it's it's strange because at like age nineteen, I mentioned that you know I overdosed and died. I was my first time in the multi level marketing world too. And multi-level marketing didn't happen as fast as I want it to, which happens for a lot of people. And especially as the younger people, right? Because, you know, the older people that you know that you thought would be super interested, you come to find out they're not. And uh, and so I went back into selling drugs, right? Which is what led to me going to prison and everything else. And it's like, you know, I've had this voice in my head all along that I was supposed to be leading people on some level or another. And every time I ignored it, then dramatic things happen. Obviously, I'm worst case scenario, like go to prison and stuff like that. But I, I literally believe it was the uh, universe realigning me. So here's what I like to ask the audience is like, hey, if, are you getting realigned as well? Like you keep running into the same relationships. You keep getting into the same toxic relationships. You keep getting the same jobs that don't pay you what you want to. You keep taking the, the same thing. It's, it's because that's not meant for you. That person's not meant for you. That job's not meant for you. You're not listening. And we'll spend our whole lives like doing drugs, drinking alcohol, partying, having sex, all these other things to avoid that voice in the back of our head. Even though that voice is like, you're over here selling plumbing material. And the voice is like, Hey, you're supposed to sell microphones so that you can help make people's uh, voices beautiful. You're not listening to the DNA code that we gave you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I said people don't, don't listen. And then maybe another word for that is, is, you know, that's how they discover their passion. And it's that passion that becomes that inspiration and the motivation to do what they were meant to do, as you said, they were set out to do. Um, yeah, we're born with passion for a reason, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now, you have an interesting, also another article and statement you make is, and you, know, you say you believe the last thing most salespeople need is more sales training. So, why is that? 
Um, I honestly believe most salespeople, if they've been in the business for at least a couple of years, they know what they're supposed to do. They don't necessarily need somebody to say, okay, say this, this is what you do for this. And while it helps, there's nothing wrong with it. That's really not what they need. What most salespeople need is some sort of accountability and some sort of duplicatable system to fall into. Uh, they, you know, salespeople don't necessarily need me to come in and, and fire them up. That's not what companies hire me to do. There's other guys out there for that. What they do is they want me to come in there and teach them a technical system that they can deploy. And usually the, like my, my definition of sales training is probably different than most people because I believe the sale starts the second the prospect sees you. And most of the time the prospect sees you somewhere else besides in person before, while that process starts, it could be an online ad, it could mm-hmm. be a newspaper, you know, social media post, whatever. And I don't think that we necessarily need more training because like we know how to follow up and what we're supposed to do. We need somebody to customize the stuff for us and hold us accountable to doing it. And, but if you're talking to companies, I mean, aren't their managers holding them accountable? You'd think, but no, you know, like you're, you're a salesperson, the managers hold you accountable when, when you were in the corporate world. Well, mine did. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's yeah. partly of, but I think I'm always surprised when I hear, like I was interviewing somebody just a few days ago where they're talking about, you know, they provide coaching to individual sales professionals that are employed by companies and like, well, what are their managers doing? If the managers aren't coaching, why are they hiring these outsiders to do it? Well, the managers, I think, are usually doing TRO reports and crunching numbers, right? Because they call them managers, but really what they are is glorified bean counters in most corporate environments. And they're not like necessarily leaders, right? They're somebody who can get the stuff that the sales team doesn't want to do. But when it comes to you know, in my jobs, I've never had a manager that, that felt like a mentor or somebody that would hold me accountable. I have a, first of all, I'm self, self accountable anyway, which most of the people I work with are too. They just need somebody to customize their stuff. But at the same time, you know, your manager is somebody that you work with and, and somebody that they're there every single day. You know, when you go out and you hire uh, a coach or a consultant or something like that, they're not there every single day. You, you're invested in them. Right. So, you know that your sales manager gets a little override on everything you do when you're paying somebody direct, you know, that they're directly invested in you and, and the returns that you get. So it does change things a little bit. Yeah. And I imagine you have a, a coach. You talked about you belong to coaching groups or a mastermind group. Lots. Yeah. Lots. And over the years I've spent, I, I know for sure I can say at least a half a million and still be super safe by FTC guidelines, but maybe a million if, if I'm stretching it, I got to be getting close to there that I've spent in coaching, masterminds, uh, plane tickets, hotel rooms, travel just to be a part of the masterminds or seminars and books and tra- online programs. Like I'm a, I'm a leader, man. I, I do what I say. And so if I'm asking people to invest in my programs, uh, I got to make damn sure that I'm investing in other people's programs too, because the, basically my job as a teacher is to be a purveyor of information. So I've got to always be on the endless quest for the latest and greatest and best and newest and most implemental information, you know? Yep, absolutely. So Ryan, we're moving to the last segment of the show where I've got some questions I ask all my guests. And the first one's a hypothetical scenario, which is in this scenario, you, Ryan, have just been hired as the vice president of sales by a company whose sales have hit the skids, stalled out, um, flatlined, the CEO's anxious to get things turned around. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Well, the first thing that I would do is I would interview every single person there individually, and I would find out 
who the, the top producer is. I would interview them first and then I would in, interview everybody else subsequently so that I could get the mindset of who's actually doing the work and maybe fill the holes for the people who aren't. I'll get the second thing I would do is I'll get rid of the people that didn't fit the culture uh, that I was trying to build. So that would be the, the reason for the interviews. But I would uh, basically in a nutshell, I'd start hiring and firing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, now some rapid fire questions. You can give me one word answers if you want or elaborate. So when you, Ryan, are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? The fact that I, st- I do the, the same thing over and over. I have a script I follow called Catch, and I use that every single time. I never deviate from it, and it's it's the metrics don't lie with it. Okay. So before I go to the next question, let me ask, dig down on that a little bit. So what what's on your script? Uh, it's a series of questions. I call it my seven magic questions, and uh, we, we sell it in our sales training stuff, but it's my seven magic questions that I ask people that do, like we talked about earlier, it allows the prospect to logically draw the conclusion that they need my stuff. And it's almost as if I'm interviewing them, and, and it's like I might let you buy my stuff, Andy, but first let me ask you these questions. Sure. Okay. It's, and it's mainly positioning, right? And, yeah. and like I said, it's my seven magic questions process. Excellent. Okay. So next question, who's your sales role model? Uh, Elon Musk, that guy has, mm-hmm. uh, he's closed the world, right? Yeah. Like he's mastered for, he's sold his way to investments and growing companies and inspiration and cast his vision across four different multi-billion dollar markets, man. So, uh, that guy's definitely, he's my idol period. Excellent. Okay. So other than your own book or books, what's one book you recommend every salesperson read? Uh, influence by Dr. Robert Cialdini. Yeah. Great book. All right. So, last question for you, toughest one perhaps of the day. What music's on your playlist? This morning, Anthrax, The Sound of White Noise. (laughs) All right. All right. Excellent. Good choice. All right. Well, Ryan, I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, Tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about your services. Yeah, absolutely. Connect with me on uh, Clixo. And while you're there, sign up. It's absolutely free. It's uh, clyxo.com forward slash closer. If you go there, you'll see all of my social media profiles. So you can connect with me on whatever social media that you like to hang out on. I'm pretty active on all of them. Uh, but again, it's clyxo.com forward slash closer. And <clears throat> that'll give you my programs, my website, all that other stuff as well. And again, while you're there, sign up because it's a lot easier to say, find me at clickso.com forward slash closure than it is to give you 15 million places to try to track me down. All right. Excellent. Good. See, that's the sales in me. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, Ryan, again, thanks for being on the show today. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate part of your daily routine, listening on your commute in the gym or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Ryan Stuman, who shared his expertise on how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.